Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We hope that you'll be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. Today is Palm Sunday. I don't know what these things, these, these palm leaves conjure up in your mind. Maybe you're expecting a bench here with somebody feeding grapes and somebody else waving the palm frond. No, it's not that kind of scene. We are reflecting back this morning on Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Now, as Jesus was walking and working with his disciples during his three years of ministry, there were various times where he began to speak to them about what was going to happen, about the crucifixion that was to come. One such point is in Matthew 16, 21, where he said to his disciples, or it says, where from that time... Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Now this is just one of various moments where Jesus is telling his disciples precisely what's going to happen. And we know as we look back on the narrative there was a lot of confusion when Jesus died and and, and what was going on, and we thought this was going to be the one, but he ended up dead, and he's in the tomb. And, and until they saw Jesus rise again, there was a lot of angst, almost hopelessness, because the one they had followed that they thought would bring in this incredible kingdom was now dead. So Jesus was trying to prepare their hearts for what was to come. But we're going to zoom in a little bit today and on Jesus now actually making his entrance into Jerusalem a week before all of these events are going to unfold. And we need to understand the prophetic significance of Palm Sunday. It's quite a big deal. And so we're going to read it together. We're going to, if you have your Bible, you're welcome to turn there with me. I'm going to read it from Matthew this morning. Uh, Matthew 21, from verses 1 right through to 11. And it says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem... Well, I'll give you a minute. I see you all getting your Bibles, which is great. So let's do that. Matthew chapter 11, 21... Matthew chapter 21. It's nice to hear pages turning. Because you can't hear fingers swiping. Unless your screen is squeaky clean. Matthew 21, from verse 1. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. Now, I mean, imagine this would really work. You go get a little colt. I'm sure that a colt is the sign on the front of a Ferrari. You just walk into the shop and say, The Lord has need of this. <laughs> if only it worked that way, Right? So we can already see there's favor on this. There's this new, there's a donkey and there's a colt that's never been ridden. And the fact that it's a donkey is quite significant because traditionally when you entered a village or a town on a donkey, it symbolized that you were arriving in peace. If you came on a horse or in a chariot, you meant war. This was trouble. A donkey is a lowly animal. Whereas a, war, a horse is a, is a strong and a powerful animal. So Jesus, the king of glory, in the same way that he comes in a manger, 
In the same way that he humbles himself to wash the disciples' feet and says, this is the example I set for you. In the same way that we know he humbles himself even unto death, here, even in his triumphal, triumphant parade, he comes in on a donkey or on a colt. Verse 4, this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly, sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. This is a reference back to the book of Zechariah. Zechariah 9 verse 9 says this, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. And that's what happened. There was great rejoicing, great shouting when Jesus came in. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So, verse 6, the disciples went as Jesus had commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road, Others cut, up, cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out. And so here we have the fulfillment of this prophecy. People crying out and lifting their voices, shouting, Blessed is he who comes in the name... Oh, sorry, Hosanna, son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he'd come into Jerusalem... All the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So there's this great commotion going on. And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. A great commotion happens. You've got some people that are expecting his arrival, and they are laying out the palm fronds for him to walk on. They are laying down branches for him to walk on. Their clothes for him to walk on as a sign of honor for the king. You have others who haven't got a clue who this is or what is going on, what the commotion is all about. You are others, you've got others who are pretty upset about all this commotion and all the attention that that man is getting because, quite frankly, we want that attention for ourselves. So you have a, a vast array of things that are happening in the scene. But I want to look at, first of all, some of the comments that were made by these people because they are significant. The first one is Hosanna. Hosanna means saviour. It means rescuer, or to rescue, or to save. That's what Hosanna means. That's why we sing, Hosanna to the King of Kings. Do you remember that one? Thank you. Somebody does. To say Hosanna means to show special respect given to one who saves. So if you can imagine somebody who is, just even in a practical sense, saved your life. That person gets special respect. There's a special measure of honor because you know you owe your life to that person. And it also means when they're shouting Hosanna, they are saying, this is our Savior, and He's come to save us now. This is the time. This is our moment. This is where all the prophecies of the past are going to come true. And we're going to speak about those briefly in a minute. The next thing they say is, Hosanna to the Son of David. Now, this is more than just an allusion to Jesus' ancestry. Yes, Jesus came down. The, the Messiah was prophesied to come from the lineage of David. So that's, that's an acknowledgement there. But also, this is a messianic title. He is our long-awaited deliverer. So again, there's an allusion to that. This is the Messiah. This is the one who's coming to save, and he's coming to save it now. Uh, 
son of also calls to remembrance. When he says that the son of David, it calls to remembrance all the promises that God made to David. Because those promises remain true, remain true. You know, when God says yes, it's yes and amen forever and ever, right? And so all of those promises come through. And so they're referring to the prophecy that was spoken over David by the prophet Samuel. I'll read it to you from 2 Samuel 7, verse, 1, uh, verse 12 and 13. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, this is God, Samuel speaking over David, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Who's he talking about? Jesus. This is the one. You see, David, in the people's minds, was Israel's national liberator. When David became king of Israel, he defeated all the enemies all around the nation of Israel. He brought the nation of Israel to a place of peace, and a place of stability, so that under his son Solomon, Israel knew prosperity and peace like they had never known before, like had been prophesied right from the very beginning. There's a beautiful allusion, I, I won't go into the detail, but under Solomon, that each man had his own vine, he sat under his own vine and his own fig tree. In other words, each one had his own place where he could exist and enjoy his vine and his fig tree. Clearly, that's a big, big deal for Mediterranean people, you know, of that era, of that, to have a vine and a fig tree, big deal. But basically, each one had his place, each one had his provision, each one had peace. And this framed their expectation of what Jesus was about to do. Why? Israel at that moment was under Roman occupation. And they were under leaders that were corrupt, the Pharisees, the the Sadducees, the scribes, many of the rabbis. There was a corrupt system in place where they were holding and wielding power. And here came the promised Messiah who was going to liberate them from all of these things, was going to overthrow Rome, was going to deliver them from their captivity so that, and bring them into the place that they read about in their history books that their grandfathers and their great-grandfathers had told them the stories about where each one had his own place and his own vine and his own fig tree, and he dwelt in peace with his family. And so this is their expectation when they're shouting these words, Hosanna to the son of David, that's all wrapped up in that one statement. The next thing they say is, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. To come in the name of means that you come in the authority of, or are sent by and therefore representing. So blessed is this man, we recognize that he is the one sent from God to us to be this Messiah and Deliverer. Hosanna in the highest. Not just Hosanna, but Hosanna in the highest. Great, promised, long-awaited, prophesied Messiah. He is here. So the people, with great excitement, they lined the streets. They threw down... I mean, can you, we, we had scenes of this in our country in 1994. When did Nelson Mandela come out of prison? Even there. Not literal olive branches, not literal palm leaves, but celebration and jubilation that he had come and this new leader was going to come and lead us into a new reality in South Africa. That was what the people expected. But their expectation of what was go, going to happen and what Jesus was going to do left many people confused and disappointed. 
because Jesus didn't overthrow Rome. He didn't come and take a seat on an earthly throne. He came and ushered in a kingdom that looked completely different to every expectation that they had. And even the disciples were left confused and disillusioned by what took place on the cross. Tony Fitzgerald has a saying that I really enjoy. He says, when we find that we are disillusioned, we realize that we had an illusion to begin with. When I find that I'm disillusioned by my situation, chances are I had an illusion to begin with. I had an illegitimate expectation. I didn't receive or things didn't work out the way that I had planned or the way that I thought they should. And so the question I want to ask this morning and the direction I want to take this incredible event is to see what happened there and to personalize it and bring it into my heart and into my relationship and my experience of Jesus and ask the question, how is it that I should welcome in the Savior? How do I welcome in Jesus and have the right expectation? And it's into this area of expectations that I want to speak. You see, if we worship God according to illegitimate expectations, we will end up being disillusioned or we will end up serving a God of our own making a religious God who is defined by and works according to our estimations, our evaluations of what is good and right and how things should work. And God is not subject to those things, amen? As much as we may want Him to be, He is God, I am not. And I need to allow the Word of God Himself, Jesus, to frame my attitude of worship, my expression of worship and, and discipleship as well as all the expectations I ought to have of what relationship with Him means, what His death on the cross meant for me. It's important also that the experiences of others, or even my own personal experiences, don't shape or outline the expectations I have on God, of God. You know, we make a big mistake when we pray according to our expectations that are not based in Scripture, but are based upon what we think is good and right and what we believe that we need, right? You see, if you allow your personal experiences to determine your expectations of God, of the majesty of who He is and what He can do, you will find that you will never go further or rise any higher than your best past achievement. Because your experience of what is great will determine what you're able to believe for in the future. I believe God in Jesus, put it to you this way, Jesus said the words, if I be high and lifted up from the earth, as we see he was on the cross, I will draw all men unto me, unto myself. I will draw them into an experience of the reality of who I really am. Not just a natural experience, but a spiritual experience which has natural outworking, which is powerful, which stems from the one to, to whom glory and honor and power and might and dominion belong. So how is it that God expects us to welcome Him, to welcome His Word into our hearts, and, and what expectations does He say we ought to have as we engage with Him? Well, the first place I want to look to is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. It says this, But without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must 
believe. Let's say that again. Must? Must believe that He is? What does that mean? That He exists and that He is, not just that He exists, but that He exists as He says He exists, that He is self-defining and that He is the rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. You see, for us to come to God, the way we, 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 we welcome Him into our presence is by believing Him, first and foremost. By believing Him. You see, Old Covenant and New Covenant, one thread remains the same right the way through. Righteousness comes through faith. Amen? Through faith. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. And in the New Covenant, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. The kingdom of God operates on faith, and faith in Jesus Christ. That Jesus is who he says he is, and that he will do whatever he has promised. I'm sure you've heard this done before. You hold up your Bible. If you've got one, hold it up with me. Say, this is my Bible. I am who it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. But maybe we should try something different. This is my Bible. The written expression of Jesus Christ himself. He is who this book says he is. He can do what this book says he can do. And because he loves me, he will do it for me. Amen. You see, that makes it personal. It's not some contract that I can just, oh, yeah, well, yeah, make it work for me. This is about Jesus. Faith and belief in Jesus and what he has done. Faith is the infrastructure that facilitates the operation and the manifestation of the kingdom of God into our natural world. Did you get that? Jesus told us to pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So how is it that God's kingdom comes? Does it come as a mighty warrior on a horse and subdue or every dissenting voice, put down and kill and maim everybody who doesn't agree or doesn't comply? No, that's not the way of peace. Jesus, when he wept over Jerusalem, he said, you did not understand the ways of peace. That was his accusation. Even still, in all your religiosity, in trying to serve God, you wanted to impose Him on others. And that's just not the way this kingdom works. This kingdom works from the inside out. That's why I say faith, faith in, in Jesus, faith in God, is the infrastructure that facilitates the operation of that kingdom and the manifestation of that kingdom in this natural world, starting in my heart and working itself out through me. I change, I am transformed, and as a result, I change and transform the world around me. It is faith in the person of Jesus and His promises that shapes our expectation towards God. Jesus never promised us, I beg your pardon, I never promised you a rose garden. Isn't that how the song went? He never promised us an easy life or an easy road. 
He said, in fact, he said, in this world you will have tribulations. But he followed up by saying, but be of good cheer. Why? Because I have overcome this world. And in a sense, what he's saying there is, my beloved child, I'm going to teach you how to do it. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to show you how to walk in victory. First of all, by putting my life inside you as you believe me and as you trust in me. And you will see my life begin to work itself out through you. 1 John 5, verse 4 and 5 says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Jesus was born of God, right? Amen. And through faith in Him, you and I too are born of God. We become born again, born from above, new creations made in the image of Christ Jesus with the nature of Christ Jesus. And it goes on to say, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. What is the victory? Oh, that is pathetic, church. What is the victory that has overcome the world? Our faith. Our belief in Him and who He is and what He has done causes us to walk a life of victory over the world around us, over the power of sin, over the power of death, over the power of the enemy and his temptations, that we may walk and know and experience true joy and peace as if we each had our own vine and our own fig tree and our own place in the kingdom. You see, this is a real spiritual reality that settles and resides deep within our hearts, so that no matter what's going on around us, we exist in a state of strength, of peace, of surety, of grace, because Jesus is that to us. He, who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And we see it again. You see, this faith in Jesus needs to result in so much more than just, hallelujah, I'm saved, I get to go to heaven. But it's all about bringing the realities of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven into my experience, into my life, that I may be changed by them and others around me may be touched by the goodness of God. It is our faith in the person and the finished work of Jesus and the word of God that needs to define our expectations of kingdom life. So what did Jesus say about himself? What are some of the things we should be expecting? He confirmed that he was the promised Messiah. So he confirmed that even in front of Pilate in his trial, he did so. He confirmed it to the women at the well and to his disciples. Who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? You are the Christ. You are... And he affirmed himself many times. He identified himself as the Son of God, sent by God, authorized by God. And about his ministry and his purpose, Jesus himself read out of the book of Isaiah and prophesied over himself and made the, the revelation of that prophecy public before the people when he read out in Luke 4, verse 18 and 19 and said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty all those who were oppressed 
who are oppressed and proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. This acceptable year refers to the year of Jubilee. Once every 50 years, all debts were canceled and liberty was granted to all slaves. It means freedom from oppression. Now, if our expectation is that Jesus is just bringing freedom of oppression from other people, we get it all wrong. Because freedom from other people, though it's very hard in the moment and we look and we can see it, is probably the least kind of, of oppression there is. Because it's easily visible, it's easy to see, it's easy to identify. The greatest oppression is the oppression we don't even know about. It's the oppression of sin, the oppression of rebellion. It's the oppression that comes through unbelief, where we don't even know that we are slaves, but yet we're, we're walking puppets, and the enemy's pulling our strings, leading us in darkness. That's oppression, where we don't even have a choice. And that's the oppression Jesus came to set us free from. He came to liberate the world from the power of the evil one by making us citizens of another kingdom that is not subject to the authority of his power any longer. A victorious kingdom. Let me read you some scriptures. Hebrews 2, 14 to 15 says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of the flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to that bondage. Let's read another one. 1 John 3, verse 8. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Amen? You know, we so often preach the message, Jesus came to save me from my sins. Jesus came to pay for our sins. Well, sure, that's true. But so much more than that. Jesus didn't just come to forgive you. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says, For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Oh, folks, what a message. What a gospel. These scriptures clearly portray for us what Christ has done and is continuing to do within the earth today. Yes, his death and resurrection work is finished, but the task of liberation, the task of restoration, restoring all things to God once again remains, and it carries on. And as citizens of the kingdom, you and I get to partake of this. We get to receive all the wonders of this new kingdom through the nature and the person of Jesus Christ himself and his indwelling presence. Let me read you another portion of scripture. One more for the day. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. It says this, As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and to godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So how should this shape 
our expectations of what the kingdom of God should look like. How should this orientate our heart to welcome in Jesus in all His glory, in all His lordship in our hearts? Tune in next week to find out. (laughs) And next week we're going to talk about Christ's resurrection and what His resurrection means for you and for me. You see, we've opened the subject today. We understand it means a new kingdom. We understand it means forgiveness. But I believe that during this time, God's wanting to take our expectation, the the demand that we place upon His Word and His promises to a whole nother level. To lift our expectations of the fullness of what He has accomplished from our level of experience or the level of experience of others and take it to the full might of His Word. You know, there's an expression in the legal system, the judicial system, that says, go after them with the full might of the law. What does that mean, Carmen? You're a lawyer. Tell us that. What does it mean? Throw the book at him. In other words, everything. Everything that we can put onto that guy. Throw the full might of the law at him. Well... God wants to throw the full might of His glory onto you and to me. The full might of His promises. Not just a little bit, not a little here or there, but bring us into a kingdom reality and a kingdom expression where true deliverance over sin, over habitual sin, is found. Where true deliverance over oppression and depression is found and becomes a reality that we may live as free citizens of the kingdom, children of God, welcomed into His heart and into His home. That our level of expectation may rise to meet the level of God's promises over your and my lives. Let me say this in closing. The way that you and I roll out the red carpet and welcome Jesus into our lives is by believing Him, believing His Word with all our hearts, that He is who He says He is, and He will do what He promises without fail and without exception. And I pray that that thought, as we go through our weeks, as we go go through our devotions, as we turn our heart to Easter, will remind us of the greatness of all He's done for us. Amen. Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning for your presence in this place. You are indeed the King of kings, as we've said so often this morning, and the Lord of lords. And Lord, where we have made you any less than everything you say you are, would you forgive us? Would you be magnified in our estimation? Would you be glorified, Lord Jesus? May your word and the promises that you've made, those words that we've forgotten, those words that we so often take for granted, would you shine a light on those words that the reflection of that light may burn deep within our hearts. Engrave into our hearts your word, your promises, that our lives may be shaped by them and our expectation galvanized by them that we would accept nothing less, Lord God, than everything that you have come to give us 
Full deliverance, full freedom, full life and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost through the sacrifice of your Son, Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So we bless you for this morning. We thank you for your wonderful life, Jesus, and for what it is you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.